The reading is taken from Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with whom they told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. We thank you for this um, wonderful, wonderful event, uh, Lord God. We thank you that uh, the Lord Jesus' body did not remain in the tomb, but that you raised him to life. We thank you that these things are true and wonderful. Help us to apply them in our lives this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to expand a little uh, this morning on a theme that I began to preach about at the 8 a.m. service last Sunday at, uh, on Easter Day. I don't think many of you here at this service would have been at the 8 a.m. service, uh, so I think I'm safe. But it reminded me a little bit of the after-dinner speaker who began his um, speech to the Rotary Club lunch by saying, um, I've been a little bit busy uh, lately, ladies and gentlemen, and I've used this speech before. The last occasion was the reunion dinner for the former inmates of Pentonville Prison. So I apologize to any of you who may have heard it before. (laughs) I uh, I love the resurrection accounts. It's great fun to go through them and piece together Uh, how uh, they cohere if they do, and perhaps imagine or indeed work out how the slightly different traditions came into being. For instance, uh, how many women went early to the tomb, and which women? Mark tells us that they uh, were uh, so frightened by the empty tomb that that, uh, they were, uh, had the angelic messengers told them uh, that uh, even, even though uh, that they mustn't go and tell anyone, and that they were, sorry, the angelic messages told them in Mark that they should go and tell anyone, but they were too frightened to go and do that, according to Mark, and they didn't say anything. But the fright can't have lasted too long, as all the other gospel writers tell us that the women then go to the disciples and begin to tell them what has happened at the tomb, and then the various resurrection appearances are described. Of course, the formal writing down of the stories probably didn't occur until some 30 or 40 years later. Until then, they were, the stories were told and retold. So I want you, if you can, to cast your mind back, uh, say, uh, 
40 to, say, 40 years uh, back. Uh, some of you won't be able to do this, but uh, uh, imagine, as I can, uh, remember what I was doing in 1974. Memory a bit hazy if, you're, if, you're, if you were alive in 1974. I apologize to the past finders who didn't even know that 1974 existed. I realize that. But uh, in 1974... 40 years ago, is that 40 years ago? Roughly 40 years ago. Um, I attended my selection conference for ministry training in the Church of England. It was then called ACOM, the Advisory Council for the Church's Ministry. It's gone through various incarnations since then. And I've dined out on the experience of my ACOM ever since. My story is that I had assumed I was unselectable and was in fact quite happy to be turned down for training to be a vicar. I'm very suspicious of people who actually want to be vicars. I think we should, I think we should be dragged into it. Um, I decided not to try and put on a particular show or answer the questions in what I assumed to be a politically correct way. So, for instance, I organized a clandestine trip to the pub in the evening, and I generally took a very light-hearted, cavalier approach to the whole selection process. But, of course, I miscalculated the Church of England completely. The worse I behaved, the more the selectors kept saying, this is just the sort of chat we want. (laughs) Which, in the words of Laurel and Hardy, is how I got into this mess. Now, my guess is that if you were to meet other people who had been on my Ackham Selection Conference, they would have had a very different report to that one that I've just given you. Even though, for all of us, it was a life-changing moment. From time to time, when a big story breaks in the paper... I tend to see how it's reported in different, in different papers, in different news outlets. For instance, uh, some years ago, I'm sorry if this is boring for those, some of you, a friend of mine who was playing cricket for England got involved in what was called the dirt-in-the-pocket incident. Some of you may remember it. I won't go into the details, but basically there was some dispute as to whether this person was simply drying the ball with the dirt in his pocket, dust, which is legal, or whether he was substantially altering the ball so that it would swing about more and be harder for the batsman to hit, which is not allowed. Now, the journalists who were sympathetic to my friend tended to favour the first explanation. And those who either wanted to oust him as England captain or sensationalise the story tended to portray him as an out-and-out cheat. There were very two different ways in which the story was reported. And at times, you might have thought that you were reading about two completely different incidents the next day after the the dirt-in-the-pocket incident. Now, the so-called inconsistencies within the resurrection accounts are, I think, rather similar. Those hostile to Christianity conclude that the resurrection cannot possibly have happened because the accounts are slightly different. And indeed, in Mark's Gospel, in its oldest manuscript, it just reports the empty tomb and the testimony of the angel that Jesus is going to appear to the disciples in, in Galilee. There is then, if you were to look into Mark... There's the much-disputed second section of Mark 16, which is not in the earliest manuscripts. It's not there. But that includes Mary's report to the disciples. It refers to the road to the Emmaus story, which Luke tells us about here in chapter 24 of his gospel. And, of course, it also, in Luke 16, refers to the John 21 story, where Jesus has breakfast with the disciples on the seashore. In Mark 16, the Great Commission account is embellished some of you will know this, with the promise of safety when snake handling and poison drinking. 
And that's led to all sorts of fun and games, especially in the more extreme wings of the church in the United States. Perhaps in our new building, we could have a, sa- a, a space set aside for snake handling. That would be quite fun in the Jubilee building. Or poison drinking could become the new activity for lunch club, perhaps. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, the, the other Gospels do not, do not describe these excesses. And so most people have concluded that Mark 16, 9 to 12, is a later edition, not an original part of the Gospel. So people hostile to the resurrection have some ammunition for us. Now, those of us sympathetic to the, res- to the resurrection see the inconsistencies as evidence of there being eyewitness accounts. No attempt by those who put the Scriptures together have been made to, to synchronize the accounts. Their variations, in our view, increase their reliability. I was at Lord's Cricket Ground the day of the incident with the dirt. It was a very hot day. England were playing South Africa. Where I was sitting in the crowd, nothing untoward happened at all. So I was amazed when I heard on the radio on my way home and then in the newspaper next day that there had been the most almighty row. I would have reported the day completely exonerating my friend. Nothing untoward happened. But, of course, I was not in the changing room when he was accused of cheating by the umpire and angrily tossed a pair of cricket trousers to the umpire and said, see for yourself, no dirt. Unfortunately, it's alleged that the trousers he showed the umpire were not the ones he was wearing. (laughs) And so the truth of the incident is not always obvious. Depends how you report it. And I believe that the experience of meeting the risen Jesus must have been overwhelming for the disciples and also highly subjective. He was not limited by time and space. In the half-light of dawn, or were wearing what we now call a hoodie, uh, which is, of course, the main item of clothing chosen by those not wishing to be identified, he was not instantly recognized, for instance, on the road to Emmaus later in Luke chapter 24, or on the seashore uh, when he came in to have breakfast with the disciples. Clearly, he revealed himself in different ways to different people. John, for instance, recalls the incident with Doubting Thomas, as he's called, when he needed to see the hands and the scars. And on Easter morning, last week at this service, it was lovely to hear Jill Ireland, our mission partner, saying that that story, the story of Thomas, when explained to her as a student at Loughborough, was instrumental in her giving her life to Jesus. There's a powerful line in that story in, John, in John's Gospel, which we do well not to forget. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jill chose to believe in Jesus, as many of us have. And he changed her life, and she's now impacting thousands for Christ in Southeast Asia and India. Blessed are those who have believed, even if they have not seen. Matthew's account makes an almost passing reference to Jesus' encounter with the women before telling us about the Great Commission and the Ascension in the last part of the Gospel. Luke, a very meticulous historian who did some of his own research, clearly had interviews with some eyewitnesses that others had missed. Uh, he, for instance, uh, obviously interviewed these women. And uh, I love to think of, um, 
of the women sitting with Luke years later, 30 years later, whatever it was, and saying, you know, those stupid men didn't believe us. You know, we went and told them that the tomb was empty, that Jesus was alive, but they wouldn't believe us. They thought we were simple-minded women who couldn't be trusted. Who was really simple-minded? It would have been a lovely conversation, wouldn't it, Luke, discovering those women who had met the risen Jesus and had this wonderful experience of him and then were not taken seriously. Then Luke tells us that Peter ran to the tomb. And that story of Peter running to the tomb is filled out by John in his account when he goes with, with, uh, uh, with John. John and Peter run together. And uh, there's a lovely little detail in John's account that, that John outran Peter. He was a faster runner than Peter. He got there first, but he didn't dare go in because unlike Peter, he was a sensitive, shy sort of chap. And Peter arrives and goes rushing in and discovers the empty tomb. And later, of course, they meet Jesus himself. Now, that's the sort of detail that people don't make up. That is the, that is the authentic sound of an eyewitness account that each, each gospel writer has come down through the tradition and remembered. And Luke's research, of course, also led, leads him to Cleopas and the lovely story of the road to Emmaus, which is what we're looking at in tonight's uh, evening service, in fact. So the differences, people say, the, different, the, the way, the difference in, in which it's reported adds up to authenticity. That's the argument. But what does all this mean for us? Perhaps we should recognize that even today, the risen Jesus manifests himself to people in different ways. We have different ways of encountering the risen Christ. We tend to have, we have a tendency to try to make everybody kind of go through the same spiritual hoop, to have exactly the same experience or the same theological framework, as if we know everything, as if we know all the answers. We kind of put pressure on people to speak about their relationship with God in exactly the same way. Maybe, maybe I'm just getting old, I don't know, but I'm, I'm no longer convinced that that is the right thing to do people encounter the risen Jesus in different ways and report it in different ways. Uh, I remember, and I mentioned this last week, uh, I remember being at, at a church that, so not, perhaps you were here last remember when I said this, and somebody said, how, how do you meet the risen Jesus? And you're walking down the street, and he jumps up around the corner, and there he is. Well, that's never happened to me. I've never, Jesus has never jumped up around the corner when I've walked down the street. But I know the risen Jesus. I know him as my friend and my Lord and my Savior, I, I meet him every day in my experience, in my prayer life as I read the Bible. People encounter Jesus in different ways, and they report it in different ways. So some will find uh, that they encounter Christ most clearly in the context of a communion service, for instance, which we're doing today. Others will say that they've had a great experience of Jesus in the razzmatazz of a great Christian gathering, like Word Alive or or New Wine, or Spring Harvest, or a number of us went yesterday to the London Men's Convention, which was a, a wonderful experience of Christians together uh, learning about and encountering the risen Christ together. Others will commune with Jesus, as I love to do actually when I pray on, the, on a quiet walk in the countryside. We experience and know Jesus in different ways. He comes to each of us in different ways as he came to those first disciples in different ways. The important thing is this on the Sunday after Easter. This is the important thing. This is the question. Have you, have you met 
the risen Christ? Have you, like Jill, sitting here with us this morning, have you reached a point in your life when you surrender? Yes, and I think that is the right word. You surrender to the truth of this stupendous event. Blessed are those who believe but have not seen. Happy are those who have believed who have not seen. As Peter says, those who have believed and not seen are filled with inexpressible, inexpressible joy as the Spirit of the living Jesus fills their lives. Is that you? To put our whole trust in the resurrection of Jesus, even when we cannot understand every detail of it, is to begin the adventure of life with the risen Jesus. Every day, walking with Him. Every day. You see, Christianity is a relationship with the risen Jesus. And each of us will discover, as in every relationship, that we have our own way of doing that, our own way of working it out, our own way of being empowered by His Spirit. We work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. So let me ask you to ask yourself this morning on this resurrection day, has Christianity ceased to be a dry dry ritual or or even uh, an academic book or even a matter of merit, of hard work trying to get approval from God? Has Christianity become a dynamic relationship with the risen Jesus, a relationship that transformed the disciples' lives? They were never, never the same again. One of the great evidences for the reality of the resurrection appearance is the total transformation of the disciples' lives. And actually, that is what is happening to us. You're here this morning because the resurrected Jesus is transforming your life. That is what resurrection offers us, and I pray that we might all know Jesus. Know Him as our risen Lord. Walk with Him as our risen Savior. Understand that His Spirit fills our life to transform us, to give us inexpressible joy now, strength to cope with whatever life throws at us, and the glorious hope of heaven. May you know the risen Jesus. Amen.